Hi, Fun Seekers. Welcome to another edition of the Christ is All podcast. I am under the weather, as you could probably detect. In today's episode, we're going to feature a message I brought recently on the Old Testament story of Joseph. And this message is part of a new masterclass entitled Atomic Freefall, Becoming Strong in the Broken Places. And this masterclass is part of the Deeper Christian Life Network. And uh, this podcast has featured other messages in various masterclasses on the network. Uh, We have some messages from the Beautiful Pursuit Masterclass. We have some messages from the Everlasting Domain Masterclass, Restoring the Kingdom Message. We have some from the Exquisite Passion Masterclass, A Deeper Journey into God's Eternal Purpose. And we have some that are part of the Spiritual Graffiti Masterclass, Galatians in 3D. Anyway, this one is on Joseph. It's called From the Pit to the Prison to the Palace. And I hope it encourages you. I hope it blesses you. Again, if you want to hear the rest of the messages in that class, as well as all of the other master classes, just go to thedeeperchristianlife.com and you will see a join link or the launch out into the deep link. And you can read all about it. You can listen to samples read testimonials, and join the waitlist. Invitations to the network are only sent via email. Here is From the Pit to the Prison to the Palace. Atomic Freefall, Becoming Strong in the Broken Places. In this session, we're going to talk about Joseph. And you can entitle this message, From the Pit to the Prison to the Palace. And we find the story in Genesis 37 all the way through Genesis 50. It's a good chunk of the book of Genesis. Now we need to go back to about the year 1650 BC. Now, scholars disagree as to when Joseph actually lived. Some have him at 2000 years before Christ. Others have him at 1600 years before Christ, others have him at 1700 years before Christ. So we'll just say 1650 if we wanted to turn this into a narrative. But there is a young kid named Joseph. He is 17 years old. He's a teenager and he is supremely handsome. He is a Hemsworth or a Jonas brother. If you're a little older, he's a Brad Pitt or a Tom Cruise. If you're even older, he's a Robert Redford or Paul Newman. And if you're really, really old, he's a Cary Grant. Well, this young kid has some very significant dreams. And in those dreams, God reveals to him what his destiny will be. And the dreams depict that he is going to be a ruler. He's going to reign. To really get the meaning of what's going to happen next, we have to put Joseph in perspective in relationship to his brothers and his father. His father, of course, is Jacob. And Joseph is the 11th son of Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons who became the fathers of 
the nation of Israel, the 12 tribes. But these 12 sons came by four different women. And one of his sons, Reuben, had sexual relations with one of his father's wives. In addition, two of Joseph's brothers, Simeon and Levi, are mass murderers. Joseph's brother Judah had sexual relations with his daughter-in-law. In other words, <laughs> Joseph is part of a dysfunctional family. And he is Jacob's favorite son because he was born from his mother, Rachel, who was Jacob's favorite wife. Rachel was the woman he actually fell in love with. If you remember the story, he had worked to gain her hand for seven years. Well, Rachel gave birth to two sons, Joseph and the youngest, Benjamin, before she passed away. And when Joseph was a teenager, his father really favored him above the other sons. And because of that favoritism, his other brothers hated him, just despised him. So much so that they couldn't even bring themselves to speak a kind word to him. And there was no doubt that Jacob was going to choose Joseph to be the recipient of the double portion of his blessing, which meant Joseph would receive the inheritance. Well, Joseph has this dream. And in the dream, he sees his brothers bowing down to him like sheaves of grain. And Joseph is really not mature enough to understand that to share that dream with his brothers who already despise him is not a wise move. <laughs> but he does so anyway. He shares the dream with them, in effect, saying, hey, you guys are going to have to bow down to me one day. And this enrages them. He also had another dream where his parents are going to bow down to him as well under Joseph's authority someday off into the future. Now, there's a point here. Not every vision the Lord gives you is meant to be shared with others. Wisdom would dictate that you keep some of that, perhaps most of it, to yourself. This is a character of wisdom. It's to know when to keep your mouth shut. And not only were the brothers hostile toward Joseph because Jacob favored him, they also didn't like him because he was a bit of a tattletaler, a tattler. He would bring a bad report about his brothers to his father. And the other thing is that Jacob, his father, made this beautiful coat for Joseph, something he had not done for his other sons. And I get the impression that Joseph flaunted it in front of his brothers, just given his personality, given the fact that these guys were already boiling at him with jealousy. And all of this together landed Joseph in a pit. His brothers came up with an evil scheme that while Joseph was shepherding the sheep, they would basically put him to death. They would throw him into a pit and then spawn a tail that a wild beast had devoured him. Now, let's talk about the pit. And this is the first stop before he gets to his final destiny and the dream comes to pass. It's the pit. The pit is a waterless place. There is no light there. There's no sustenance. There's no food. It's hopeless. He cannot get out of the pit himself. The pit is the place wherein you lose all control. 
And Joseph is stripped of all self-sufficiency. He has hit rock bottom, literally. You can't get yourself out of a pit. You can't fix it. You can't make it better. Only God can bring you out of a pit. And this pit was probably a cistern, an empty one with no water. It once held water, but now it doesn't. And Joseph is not aware that his brothers told his father Jacob that Joseph had been killed. And so during this time, from the pit, and then when he lands into the second place of his destination, he's probably wondering why his father's not seeking him out. So there's disappointment and even disillusionment because he knew he was the favored son. But brothers and sisters, God will put most of us in a pit at some point in our lives, wherein we lose all control, it's dark, there is no light, it's dry, there is no water, it's hopeless, we can't get out ourselves. And the greater God's calling on your life, the greater your destiny is, the deeper the pit will be. Well, in the story, uh, Reuben speaks up and he persuades the other brothers not to actually leave him in the pit to die, but to strip him of his colored coat and sell him into slavery. And some Ishmaelite traders come along the path and Joseph's brothers sell him as a slave to Egypt. Now, here's the point. Even if you're in a pit, God is going to take care of you if you lean on him and you trust him. When you're in a hole that you cannot get out of, it's desperate. God is testing you. Trials expose the condition of our hearts and the measure of our spiritual maturity. Most of the time we think we are further ahead than we really are. And a good first class trial and a test will expose that. I talk a lot about this in my book, Hang On, Let Go, which really is a dissertation on trials and tribulations. And Joseph had a monumental one here. Being left in a pit, we don't know how long he was in there, but he gets sold into slavery. And what's fascinating about this is that when Joseph will reflect on this later on, he will say, God brought me here to Egypt, the place where he was sold into slavery, not my brothers, but God. He recognized the sovereignty of God in all things, even those things that were negative and painful. Second Chronicles 32, verse 31. Even in the matter of the envoys of the rulers of Babylon, who sent to him to inquire of the wonder that had happened in the land, God left him alone only to test him, that he might know all that was in his heart. Now, this is speaking of Hezekiah. But the point being is that God left him alone to test, to expose what was in his heart, that he might know all that was in his heart. Now, the Lord knows what's in our hearts, but when he puts us in the pit, we get to see <laughs> what he already sees. And uh, it could be quite striking and quite disappointing. You can't fix that which you're not aware of. You can't change if you think you don't need to be changed. <sighs> There's a lot in the Bible about the test of the Lord. And we see it in the New Testament as well. In one of Paul's letters, he said, God who tests our hearts. And the pit will definitely test us. It will expose us. 
it will reveal the strength or weakness of our spiritual metal. But Joseph did not allow the circumstances of his plight to alter his relationship with the Lord. And this is key throughout the whole story. One of the purposes of trials is to develop our capacity and our character and our maturity to carry out that which the Lord has called us to do. Joseph had no way of seeing the future. Yes, he had those dreams, but he didn't know how those dreams are going to be fulfilled, but he hung on to the dream. He hung on to God. And now he's a slave in Potiphar's house. Potiphar was a high-ranking official in Egypt. And Potiphar can tell that the Lord was with Joseph and that God made everything Joseph did to be successful. And therefore, Joseph finds favor in Potiphar's sight. Now, obviously, Joseph talked about God and his relationship with God, attributing his success, his abilities to God's favor. Joseph was faithful where he was even in the role of a slave. And that, of course, was a stepping stone to his ultimate calling. He was being prepared. He didn't complain. He didn't murmur. And God cares more about the development of the dreamer than the dream itself. Now, again, we know that Joseph was handsome. And Potiphar's wife, it appears, has a hormone problem. She is a desperate housewife. And she comes on and begins to hit on Joseph continuously, over and over again, this went on. We don't know how many days or even weeks or months, but it was a perpetual thing. She wanted Joseph in a sexual way. And to his credit, Joseph resisted continually. Now again, he had God in his life. And one of the things he said is, how can I do such a great evil to my God? How can I sin like this? with this man's wife against my God. But day after day, she continued to flirt with him. And I think we need to step back and just have a moment of great respect for Joseph. It's one thing to overcome a temptation. It's one thing to overcome several temptations. But to overcome again and again and again when you're being assaulted with temptation after temptation after temptation, she probably tried all sorts of ways to seduce him. And so he's a man under pressure. And yet, with the aid of his God and his resoluteness to withstand, he flees the temptation, as Paul said to Timothy. Well, hell hath no fury like a woman rebuffed. And Potiphar's wife falsely accuses Joseph of essentially trying to rape her, which is the exact opposite of what happened. And typically when false accusations come your way, brothers and sisters, it is the exact opposite of what really happened. And the person who's tossing the accusations is very often guilty of the same things they're accusing you of, only it's not been made known. That's something to remember. Well, Potiphar, the pressure's on him. He really likes Joseph. He respects him, but <laughs> he cannot let these accusations go. And his wife is insistent. I don't know if Potiphar believed them or not. I don't know how well he knew his wife. Either way, Potiphar puts Joseph in prison. And Joseph is bound. He's shackled. 
He's removed from sunlight and once again all hope. And Psalm 105 describes the situation. Psalm 105 verse 17. He, meaning God, sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They afflicted his feet with fetters. He himself was laid in irons. Until the time that his word, God's word, came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him, tested Joseph. You see, Joseph had a word from God in the form of those dreams, but that word was being tested in Joseph's life. Hey, I'm supposed to be reigning and ruling. My brothers are supposed to be bowing down to me. Even my parents are. What am I doing here in prison, falsely accused? There's no hope. First, I'm put in a pit. Now I'm in prison. The word of the Lord was testing him. And brothers and sisters, if God has given you a vision, if he's revealed to you something of your destiny, if he's put a dream in your heart, it's going to be tested severely as it was in Joseph's life. But God was in the prison with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him. See, the Lord doesn't deliver us out of our trials very often. He joins us in the trial. He enters the fire with us, and he becomes the light in the midst of our darkness. Acts chapter 7, verse 9, The patriarchs became jealous of Joseph and sold him into Egypt, but God was with him once again. The Lord was with Joseph. Why? Because Joseph was with God. Now, we know that God is with us in a more metaphysical way. He's omnipresent, right? He's everywhere. He's with everyone. But when it says that God is with a person, it means that his blessing, his presence, his favor is on that person. He's with them in a relational, intimate way. He's aligned with them. And the reason why God was with Joseph in this way is because he was with God. Now, there are two people in prison with Joseph. He's also with the chief jailer who Joseph finds favor with because God is with Joseph. Whatever Joseph is doing there in prison, the Lord is blessing him. And the chief jailer notices it. Just like Potiphar favored Joseph because the Lord was with him, so too the chief jailer does. But there's two other men in prison with Joseph. There is a cupbearer and there is a baker, both for the king of Egypt. And they had offended their master, Egypt's king. Pharaoh is furious with them, and he puts them in confinement as well. And they share space with Joseph, who too is imprisoned. Now, what's interesting too is that while Joseph is there, he serves these two men. He interprets their dreams. And there's a principle here. God will give you people to serve in your own imprisonment, in your own suffering. And Joseph was able to help two people as he languished in jail. He had to look past his misery. He had to look past his pain. He had to look past his disillusionment to serve these two men. And that's counterintuitive because when you're in a situation like this, where your freedom is taken away, or in your particular case, when you're going through hell, uh, the tendency is to be self-absorbed. The tendency is to have pity on yourself. It's very natural. But if you want to see God show up, look for other people to help and serve while you are suffering. Use your gift 
for those who need it. And that's exactly what Joseph did. He exercised his gift, even though he felt forgotten. Joseph finds himself in the pit again in the form of a prison. He's with these two officials from the king. Now, what ends up happening is Joseph interprets the dreams that these men have. And one of them, his destiny is to be freed from prison. The other one, his destiny is to be killed. And that's exactly what happens. Now, to the one who is going to be freed, Joseph says, listen, please remember me when you leave and tell Pharaoh and get me out of here. But <laughs> no good deed goes without being punished. Joseph helped this man, interpreted his dream for him, and he forgets Joseph. And he forgets him for two long years. And Joseph is now languishing in jail even longer. And apparently he was there for quite a while. It was a long pause. And years pass, and Joseph does not know what God is up to. He doesn't know why the Lord has allowed these horrible things to take place in his life. But we know there was a purpose in it. And he believed that his God was with him and it was going to turn out well. Even though he thought he was going to be delivered when he told this one gentleman his fate, it looked like the day arrived. But the cupbearer forgot Joseph. And Joseph had no way to get his attention. There's a point here, and that is that when you're in the prison, <laughs> there will be things taking place where you think you're almost there. You think your freedom is around the corner, but it isn't. It's a false flag. And what God is doing there is he's strengthening you and preparing you for your future even more. And the Lord wants to get full credit for your deliverance. If you're delivered too fast, he can't really get the credit. Not as much as if the deliverance looks hopeless. And so when Joseph was finally freed from prison, he knew it had to be God. The other thing is he wasn't ready yet in the eyesight of God. But Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8, we are completely overwhelmed beyond our strength so that we despaired even of life. God was stripping him, breaking him of all self-dependence, of all self-sufficiency, of immaturity, which Joseph showed in the beginning in how he related to his brothers. God was putting Joseph in a situation that was far too much for him to bear. And yet, when you look back, on your trial, you will see the grace of God carrying you. And that's exactly what happened to Joseph. So two full years go by. Joseph is sitting in jail, hoping the cupbearer will remember him. And then there's a surprise. And this has been true in all my trials. When God is ready to pull the trigger and set you free and end the nightmare, he will do it in a way that surprises you. And that's what happens. A crisis hits Egypt. And now the cupbearer finally remembers Joseph. <laughs> and he brings him to Pharaoh and Pharaoh calls for him. Now, let me just hit pause here. and I'm going to back up because I do want to make a point and I'm going to do it by using some imagination. When Joseph was in prison with those two men, the baker and the cupbearer, there were two other men with Joseph that the scripture does not mention. But it is found in one of the Syrian manuscripts of Genesis, and only I have possession of them. Which being interpreted means I'm adding some 
holified imagination to the story. All right, let's look at these two men. One man is an Egyptian soldier, and the other man is an Egyptian scribe. And the soldier is swearing, cussing, and blaming Pharaoh for his plight. And the scribe is cussing and swearing and cursing the gods for putting him in prison. And he looks at Joseph and he says, you're an innocent man. I believe your story. You've done nothing to deserve this, but God is putting you here. This is God's fault. You ought to curse him and die. And so the soldier is cursing and swearing against Pharaoh, blaming Pharaoh for putting him in prison as well as Joseph, an innocent man. The soldier blames Pharaoh, the scribe blames God. One is blaming man, the other is blaming the Almighty. And brothers and sisters, those two men, the scribe and the soldier, will speak to you when you're going through your trial. One will tempt you to blame God and become bitter with him. The other will tempt you to blame man. And brothers and sisters, neither was the path that Joseph took. He recognized the sovereignty of God, but the sovereignty of God was good. Joseph knew that God had a purpose that he could not see that was beyond what he was going through. And the Lord finally, after years, comes through. And Pharaoh calls for Joseph, and Joseph shaves, gets a change of clothes. He's been in this dungeon, this prison for a long time, and now he's got a fresh start. Through the breaking of God in the pit, in slavery, and in prison, Joseph is broken of his self-sufficiency, of his independence, of his immaturity. And he says, I'm able to interpret your dream, Pharaoh. God will interpret it. And he trusted the Lord to give him the answer. It was a suddenly in Joseph's life, even though he had been languishing in prison for a long time. When the call came for him to come out, it happened quickly. You see, a dream was given twice to Pharaoh which means it was determined by God and that God is going to carry it out soon. You and I cannot go by how things ever look in the natural. God is working behind the scenes, even if he seems absent. And Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dream or just before, for years, he was left there in jail to decay, to be forgotten and passed over. But the Lord knew what he was doing. And the fact is, brothers and sisters, the higher your mountains, the deeper your valleys will appear to be. Now, Joseph had a right to be angry. He had a right to be bitter, to hold a grudge against his brothers, against Potiphar's wife, against Potiphar himself. The whole thing was unfair and unjust. And the quicker you can learn the fact that life is not fair, the better you will be. And Joseph instead offers forgiveness. He doesn't hold anybody hostage for the pain that they have caused him. He's not seeking revenge, which is a good test if you've truly forgiven someone. You do not seek revenge. Seeking revenge is a mark of unforgiveness. And all of these people in Joseph's life did not ask him for forgiveness. Yet Joseph gave it to them anyway. And that's what real forgiveness does. It forgives even when people don't ask for it. And what's fascinating too is that <laughs> when his brothers finally show up, and they do, because they have to get food from Egypt. And Joseph is made, elevated, 
to vice president of Egypt. He is Pharaoh's right-hand man. And there's a famine, and the brothers, the sons of Jacob, the brothers of Joseph, have to travel to Egypt to get bread, to obtain food. And I'm not going to rehearse the whole story. It's really moving. At first, they don't recognize Joseph. Joseph hides his appearance from them. He weeps because he knows who these brothers are. It's been many years. But he not only forgives them, he helps them forgive themselves. And he says these words that what you meant for evil, God meant for good. God took the wicked thing that you did to me and he turned it into good. And look where I am now. And exactly what he had dreamed came to pass. They were bowing down to him. Amazing. He helped his offenders forgive themselves. They sold him. They left him for dead. But God used it to send Joseph to fulfill his calling, which would benefit God's people who would become Israel. Joseph had the perspective of God, which helps us to forgive people who've wronged us. He said, in effect, God made me forget all my hardship, and he made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Joseph forgot the pain. The Lord took it all away, and even the memory of it. And he recycled the pain into transformation. And so Joseph was elevated from the pit, from the prison, to the palace. And just as Joseph had a dream in the beginning, Pharaoh had a dream. And just as Joseph was stripped of his clothes when he was put into the pit, his robe rent from him. He's now given new clothes. And Pharaoh is acting toward Joseph like a new father. And he ends up being the second in command in Egypt. He is brought into the palace. And the way he deals with his dysfunctional brothers is simply beautiful. And finally, Joseph meets his father, Jacob, the man who thought his son had died so long ago. And there's drama and pathos in the story. And Jacob lives in Egypt for some 17 years. And when he's getting ready to die, he says, do not bury me in Egypt. Bring me into the land of my fathers, our fathers. Joseph says, absolutely. And Jacob says, swear it to me. He makes a covenant. And Jacob whose name is Israel, worships his God as he leans on his staff. And his legacy is made whole. And his son, who he thought <laughs> had died, is now Egyptian royalty. And Joseph says, we do not want an Egyptian funeral for my father. And all of Pharaoh's staff, they go along with it. He gives Joseph all of the funeral funds. And it's a massive funeral. A very large company go out. And here he is, Joseph, ruler of Egypt, the dreamer has seen his dream come to pass. The brothers are restored. He meets Benjamin. He deals kindly with his brothers who treated him treacherously. And Jacob and his family settle in Goshen, which will show up <laughs> later on in the story. And Jacob, now called Israel, says to Joseph, I'm about to die, but God will be with you and bring you back to the land of your fathers. And... Jacob blesses the 12 tribes of Israel, all 12 sons. He says, I'm about to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers, not here in Egypt. And his sons carry him to the land of Canaan. And it is chapter 50, verse 20. 
As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, in order to bring about this present result, to preserve many people alive. Therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. So Joseph comforted them and spoke kindly to them. This is a story of God's sovereignty, God being with one of his children in the pit, in the prison, and eventually in the palace. It's a story about the power of reconciliation and forgiveness and redemption. The Bible says seven times that the Lord was with Joseph. I'll read them to you. The Lord was with Joseph and he prospered. When his master saw the Lord was with him and the Lord gave him success in whatever he did. The Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had because of Joseph. The Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor. The Lord was with Joseph and gave him success. Now, some reflections. What put Joseph in the pit? Jealousy. The jealousy of his brothers. And brothers and sisters, typically when we are put in a pit under God's sovereign hand, there's jealousy somewhere. Someone is jealous. And if God has anointed you and he's blessed you and he is with you, He's giving you dreams and visions, metaphorically, He's leading you. It is going to ignite the jealousy of others. That's what got him into the pit. What got him out of the pit was his trust in the Lord. What got him into the prison? Slander, false accusations coming from Potiphar's wife, who was offended. And what will put us in a spiritual prison, brothers and sisters, is typically the slandering tongue by someone who has taken offense with us. What got Joseph out of the prison was his gift. He exercised his gift. He was faithful despite his pain, despite his plight. He was faithful. And that's what brought him into the palace. Joseph's life was an outrageous roller coaster, but all things that happened to him were put in place to work together for good in his life, Romans 8, 28. In his sovereignty, the Lord providentially arranges all things in our lives to accomplish his great purpose. And remember, when the enemy is working, and no doubt he worked through all of this, he worked in the hearts of Joseph's brothers. He worked in the heart of Potiphar's wife. He's on a leash under God's sovereign hand. It would be 13 years before Joseph received his destiny as ruler in Egypt to be the vice president to Pharaoh. He was 17 when his brothers discarded him. 13 years passed and he became ruler in Egypt and the dream came to pass. That is a long time. Never throw in the towel. You are closer than you think. Keep walking the line and suddenly the goal will be manifested. You may say, I didn't sign up for this. Who did? But God is ordering your steps. So long as you are with him and you're walking with him. For he is an almighty God who transforms pain into purpose, misery into mission, and tragedy into triumph. Consequently, whenever evil comes into your life, put God in the equation and good will come out of it. All things work together for good for those who what? Love God. That's the peace that's required, loving God, being faithful to him, 
and he will take pain and suffering and transform it into his perfect will. He doesn't want visitation privileges with you on the weekends or on Sunday or on Wednesday. He wants to be your intimate Lord. And he knows the right time to bring you into your goal. Work faithfully, serve willingly, submit joyfully, honor God fully. He will connect you to the right people to bring you into your destiny. Development takes time. Spiritual growth takes time. We don't have a microwave faith and we don't have a microwave God. And you know that God is working in you when you are resilient. And I think that's a great word to put over Joseph's life, resilience. He kept walking the line. He kept bouncing back in his heart. He never lost hope. His foundation was right. And if your foundation is right, brothers and sisters, you'll bounce back. The Lord is good to those who wait for him. To the person who seeks him, it is good to wait quietly. Lamentations 3, 25 to 26. Wait quietly. Resist the temptation to complain, to murmur. When God is silent, he's not still. He's still active. His purpose grows out of our sight where we can't see it. And he will reveal it at the right time. He may put you in an emotional pit. He may put you in a relational jail a financial jail, a health prison for the moment. Maybe your job is a prison. Know this, he will not pull you out of the oven of adversity until you and the others around you that are related to your purpose and your destiny are ready. Remember, Joseph sat in jail for two more years until the cupbearer remembered him. It wasn't the right time for him to remember Joseph before that. God is the one that puts things in our minds. God is the one that reminds us of things. Joseph needed to simmer in the crock pot of that jail a little longer. But his mighty hand will eventually move us from the dungeon to our destiny, from ruin to rulership when we are ready. And when he's ready and we're ready, things happen fast. So don't be discouraged when you don't see any movement. There is always movement. You just can't see it. I just can't see it. He's preparing the place. He's preparing the people. He's preparing the positions. He's preparing you. And there's another point I want to make. And that is, you know, a case could be made that Joseph was partially responsible for bringing this on himself. Remember, he was a tattletale reporting about his brothers, what they were doing that were wrong to his father. He was flaunting his dreams, which were all about them bowing down to him. He didn't have to do that. And he very well could have been showing off that coat. It would have been a lot wiser for him to just wear it in private. So he was immature. He did things to increase the negative feelings that brothers already had toward him. Now, that didn't justify what they did. But my point is, he wasn't innocent. He wasn't completely innocent where they were concerned. This is good news because most of the trials that you and I face, we have some part in them. Typically, what we're going through is not deserved. It's way beyond whatever part we had to play, just like what happened with Joseph. But it's good to know that even though Joseph was partly responsible for the hateful attitudes that the brothers had toward him, God was still with him. God still used everything that happened to him. God was the one who sent him to Egypt. 
for his greater plan, and Joseph even says that. Genesis 45, 5, Now do not be grieved or angry with yourselves. He's talking to his brothers. Because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. God sent me. Yeah, you brothers think you brought me here, but God was the one who was behind it all. Isn't that amazing? The Lord takes an evil act and he uses it to accomplish his purpose. So if you have been responsible, partly, minimally, even 5% for your trial, for your suffering, take heart. <laughs> the Lord's still behind it. The Lord will still use it. The Lord will still accomplish his purpose through it. That's good news. And here's the bigger picture. Genesis 37 to 50, all of it is moving toward God's eternal purpose. To find the people through which the Messiah would come. To secure a people for his name. And we see these moves in the pit, which is chapter 37. In the prison, which is chapter 39. And the palace, which is chapter 41. None of us can go straight to the palace. We have to experience the pit and the prison first. The palace is always preceded by the pit and then the prison. And God's purpose of reigning and ruling with Christ is the goal. Let me say it again. What put Joseph in the pit was jealousy. When God begins to show his favor on your life, begins to promote you, some people, even your peers, will begin digging your pit. But the people who dug Joseph's pit in the end were the ones who served him. Slander, malicious accusations due to an offense put him in the prison. But what got him to the palace was his faithfulness to God throughout all of it, his refusal to become embittered, and his exercise of his gift to serve others. The scripture says your gift will open doors. Your gift will make room for your ministry. If you stay with the Lord, he will come alongside you in the pit, in the prison, and in the palace where you will fulfill his purpose in your life. Patience, endurance will keep you faithful under pressure. The Lord was with Joseph, in slavery, in temptation, and when he was being slandered. His presence was blessing him in the midst of his weakness, troubles, sorrow, and unjust treatment. And God was still honoring him and elevating him. It's a story of triumph and weakness, victory and suffering. And God will be with you and me in the same way if we honor him in our trial. He will be with us as we stay close to him. And here is the postscript, brothers and sisters, to the Joseph story. Who is Joseph? He's a beloved son. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. He was wounded in the house of his brethren. He was a shepherd, beloved of his father, hated by his brothers. He foretold his future of reigning and ruling. His brothers plotted against him. He was stripped of his coat. His brothers, while eating, intended to slay him. He was sold for the price of redemption. His blood-sprinkled coat was presented to his father. He became a servant. His master was well pleased with him. He was severely tempted, yet did not sin. He was falsely accused. He was numbered with transgressors. He was the means of blessing to one, but the pronouncer of judgment to the other. He was delivered by the hand of God. He was seen as the revealer of the secrets from God. He was exalted, set over all the people. 
His authority and glory caused all to pay homage to him and every knee to bow before his presence. He was called the Savior of the world. He was 30 years old when he began his ministry. He was revealed to his brothers the second time they saw each other when he was in the palace. In other words, his second coming. He forgave his brothers and became their savior. And at first, when the news that Joseph was alive, it was not believed. Brothers and sisters, Joseph is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ and all who are in him follow the same path. Those who suffer with him will reign with him. Praise the Lord.